We spent a lot of time back in Washington talking about numbers, the, the total number of evacuees, American citizens, and so forth. This week, Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Doha, where many Afghan evacuees are waiting to be vetted before coming to the U.S. But behind each of these numbers is a real person, is a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter. People like Marsal, who is in the U.S. now, but still feeling like the future is a big question mark. I know it's really difficult to start a life from the beginning. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, September 8th. There are still people, including U.S. citizens, who are waiting to evacuate Afghanistan. Secretary Blinken says the U.S. is working to get them out. Uh, We're holding the Taliban to the commitments that they've made to ensure the free passage and safe travel for anyone. For people like Marsal, who are safe in the U.S., the stakes for family in Afghanistan are high. If they will not come here, so we will, like, I don't know, maybe they will kill them. We did our best. We did our best for our country. And now I know we left there, but our family is not safe there. Marsal, her husband, and her son were able to escape Afghanistan in late July, before Kabul fell to the Taliban. We come here with a lot of hope. Of course, we suffer a lot of bad things in, in Kabul. But I, I hope the best thing for my son, for myself. I want a lot of opportunity for me and for my son after this. I want to see my son to grow up in here with a, in a good situations, And I want him to learn and to be a good person and do his best for his country. In a lot of ways, Marsal and her family are among the lucky ones, not only because they were able to leave, but also because they both have what's called special immigrant visas because of the work they did for the U.S. government. For many other Afghans who fled home in those chaotic last days of the U.S. occupation, the path toward permanent legal residency in the U.S. is a lot less clear. And they aren't even legally refugees protected by this special status. They are arriving through a process called humanitarian parole. In this context, it's you don't have a full legal status in the United States. You have this kind of limbo status. That is Nick Miroff. He reports in the Department of Homeland Security for The Post. And we have been hearing so much about the desperation of so many Afghans who've been trying to get into the U.S., But we wanted to know from him what happens after they arrive. Well, that's a great question because I think in the initial phase, everyone has naturally been referring to them as Afghan refugees. And they are refugees in the classic sense. They're clearly fleeing from Taliban takeover. But it's important to point out that they will not enter the United States as refugees. That is through the U.S. refugee program with all the formal benefits and support that it provides to people who come through that channel. And and what is the distinction there? Like, why don't these people count as refugees? Well, the U.S. refugee program, as it formally exists, consists of a series of steps 
and measures and screenings that occur overseas run through U.S. consulates and the State Department largely runs that program. And of course, the White House each year sets an annual cap in terms of the number of refugees the United States is willing to take in. As many listeners will recall, the Trump administration slashed that cap lower and lower each year. And the number of refugees we continue to admit to the United States remains near historic lows, largely as a result of the pandemic's effects on U.S. consular services abroad. So the refugee program itself as it exists and all the benefits that it provides, including months of medical insurance, job counseling, benefits and assistance that are that, that is provided through um, refugee resettlement agencies contracted by the U.S. government, all of those those benefits that that are bestowed on people who arrive as refugees are not going to be available for the Afghan evacuees who are arriving right now because they're not coming through that channel. Huh. And so what channel are they coming through? Like, what are they identified as in our immigration system? Well, most of them are going to arrive through what's called humanitarian parole, and that is the Department of Homeland Security using its exceptional authority to basically allow someone into the United States on a provisional basis, but it isn't a path to legal U.S. residency or citizenship. It's really just the U.S. government saying, okay, well, we'll let you into the country under these exceptional circumstances, in this case, for humanitarian reasons. Um, And once you're here, you can begin to seek other forms of what's called relief, Um, That's basically relief from deportation, but meaning um, some other legal status that will allow you to remain in the United States. So it's only in the past week that the Department of Homeland Security and the Biden administration has begun to recognize that the vast majority of the evacuees who were flown out of Kabul are going to arrive with this status, not as things like the special immigrant visa that many listeners may have heard about for people who directly assisted the U.S. military, the United States government. But but this name, humanitarian parole, or calling the people who are arriving here parolees, I mean, I feel like even the the words around that are a little confusing because that sounds like prison or people getting out of prison. No, it has nothing to do with prison. It's just the idea that you're under some kind of provisional supervision, that your status is temporary, um, that you're not entirely accepted, not entirely in the penal context, it would be not entirely free, right? Hmm. And that's one of the reasons why so many of the groups advocating for these Afghans are urging lawmakers to create some kind of mechanism that will allow the Afghans to quickly adjust their status, to change their immigration status to something like legal permanent residency. So, well, where it stands now, like, what is life going to look like for the people who are arriving here as, quote, humanitarian parolees? What are they allowed and what are they not allowed? Right now, we've got about a little more than 30,000 evacuees who have arrived in the United States so far. Of those, about 80% are coming with either a special immigrant visa or some form of humanitarian parole like we've been describing. And then there are another 30,000 or so Afghan evacuees who are at transit sites in Europe and the Gulf region, mostly U.S. military bases where they continue to undergo the vetting process. 
But the vast majority of those 60,000 or so Afghan evacuees are going to come to the United States, assuming that they clear the vetting process. They go through kind of a secondary vetting process with U.S. Customs and Border Protection that does uh, what they call a cross-check to make sure that the people who boarded the flights are indeed the people who were vetted and screened by U.S. agents overseas. And so once they satisfy that, they're being transferred to U.S. military bases where they get medical checks. They are offered COVID vaccines. They're screened for COVID. They work with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to obtain work authorization so that they can walk out with the ability to have a job and start working right away. And so far, the only thing that the U.S. government has been able to set up is kind of an ad hoc program through the State Department that provides about $2,250 per evacuee for up to 90 days. And that's that's just a one-time assistance. And half of that is going to go to the refugee resettlement agencies that work with the U.S. government Hmm. that are going to connect them to communities and to hopefully to employers and places where they'll be able to start the resettlement process if they don't have family members in the United States or others who can start to support them. And then in addition to that, they'll get a small bit of cash assistance, a little more than $1,000. But you can understand the concern if you think about some of these these Afghan evacuees who are arriving with, you know, we're going to get little more than $1,000 per person. They're going to land in a strange place where they don't know anybody unless they're in a community of other Afghans. And um, as many are pointing out, it's very important for this process to go right for them to be resettled in the United States. And that's why the White House has asked uh, Congress for an emergency supplemental funding bill um, that will provide Afghan resettlement funds. On Tuesday, the White House urged Congress to pass emergency funding for resettling Afghans, $6.4 billion. After the break, we talk about what else the administration could do to help Afghan evacuees get on a path to permanent residence in the U.S. So I would imagine that I'm sure the vast majority of people who came here as evacuees are hoping to stay here for the long term or uh, hoping that they don't end up back in Afghanistan. So what is the process through which they can eventually become permanent residents or citizens? I mean, is there any expedited system for them to stay here permanently? The administration is looking at several options, particularly for this large group of people who will arrive as humanitarian parolees. And, you know, one thing would be to get lawmakers to create some kind of special mechanism or or specific channel for Afghans, not unlike, say, the Cuban Adjustment Act that would give them the ability to arrive as parolees, but then apply to legal permanent residence and obtain green cards during that two-year window that their, that their parole will allow them. Another option would be for them to go through the standard asylum process and make the argument essentially that they would face persecution or harm if returned to Afghanistan. And obviously they would have a strong case for that. The problem with that particular channel is that the U.S. asylum system is terribly clogged by more than 400,000 pending cases, particularly in the last few years, as a large number of folks crossing the U.S. southern border have have applied for asylum. 
Another route could potentially be an expansion of the special immigrant visa that some Afghans are arriving under, but the Biden administration could attempt to interpret that or apply that more liberally to others who were essentially helping the U.S. mission, the U.S. project in Afghanistan and would face persecution if they were returned as a result of that. So there are different avenues potentially available, but the the fact is, you know, that right now the majority of the folks who will arrive over the coming weeks are going to have this kind of limbo status without a clear path. What do you think is at stake here when we think about the promise that was made to so many of these Afghans to get them out of Afghanistan safely, but also let them live a sustainable life here in the U.S.? Well, that promise is complicated, Martine, because we clearly attempted to bring out the people who helped us in Afghanistan, but we know that not everyone was able to leave. So there are people who remain in Afghanistan who we have a pending but unfulfilled commitment to bring to the United States, and it's unclear how we'll be able to do that. And then there are the people who we did evacuate who had a clear record of working for the U.S. government or the U.S. military. They know people in the U.S. government. They know they have friends. They have a support network almost already. They almost certainly speak English. You know, I think the U.S. commitment to them and what will happen to them is not as much of a concern as what happens to the tens of thousands of other people who were evacuated from Afghanistan who don't necessarily have family here nor have a clear record of working for the U.S. government and who will arrive with this kind of tenuous immigration status. And I think that the Biden administration's request to Congress for funds to help resettle these folks speaks to this concern and the the commitment to try to make sure that this doesn't end badly and to make sure that, that these folks are able to start over in the United States with jobs, with children enrolled in schools and some kind of health, you know, health insurance and um, all the things that it will take to get off the ground with a new life in America. Nick Miroff covers immigration enforcement and the Department of Homeland Security for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Lena Muhammad and produced by Jordan Marie Smith and Alexis Diao. Jorge Rivas contributed reporting. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>